0: Welcome to How Did You Manage That? Now, if you don't know what this podcast is already... Well, you're a little bit late because it's our last episode of the season.
1: This is episode 10. We've got nine more you can look back on. If you've just stumbled upon us because you're a massive Frank Carter fan, hello.
0: Like I said, it's our last episode of the season. So before we jump into this amazing episode with the Greer, who, like Ali said, is Frank Carter, the Rattlesnakes manager, we just want to say a massive thank you to everybody who's listened to all the episodes we've done over the season. Everybody who's tweeted, shared, liked. We've had an incredible first run, Ali, I think, if you don't mind me saying it. When you look at some of the managers we've interviewed, they've all been incredible.
1: Absolutely. When you and I talked about this, um, it was one of those ideas that I thought might never actually happen.
0: Yeah, definitely. We will be back for season two, hopefully in the new year, when we figured it all out. We're off to do various other things in the meantime. Um, But you will be able to catch us at some festivals as well next year. Yes. So look out for How Did You Manage That on the panels. And um, we'll also be doing a special around the Music Managers Award so there'll also be something coming up before the end of the year then but Ali should we get on with it Should we talk about the last amazing episode
1: Matt Greer was actually one of the first people we interviewed back way at the start of this podcast series and then things took a little while to launch and uh, we realised so much had happened with his main artist Frank Carter that we had to go back and do the interview all over again so we recorded this Uh, in mid-July 2019 um, after the release of Frank Carter's third album release Stay locked into this episode because you hear some amazing stories of the journey that Matt has gone on with Frank. It is a perfect way to end the first season of How Did You Manage That with Matt Greer of ATC Management.
0: And if you want to tweet at all when listening to the episode, our handle is at managethatpod. Let us know what you thought. How Did You Manage That is a podcast brought to you by the Music Managers Forum, a.k.a. the MMF and
1: AWOL. We are in the Riverside building owned by Cobalt and AWOL and we are joined by Matt Greer, manager famously of Frank Carter and the rattlesnake. Hello.
2: (laughs) How are you today? What's going on? Uh... Today's been pretty good. Just um, finalising a US tour announcement for tomorrow, which is uh, kind of came together pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it's always just a bit frantic. Just like you triple check all of the spelling, and then you find out you've been spelling a venue wrong the entire time, and it's you know then you got to change all the ad mats and the videos. And uh, but yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's exciting. It's um, Frank's first kind of proper tour back for like two years. Right. Um, doing a bunch of festivals and headline shows, Uh, got a great uh, support band called The Beaches, Um, doing a kind of partnership with Monster Energy to sponsor the tour, because we're losing a lot of money, so all that kind of fun stuff. But um, yeah, very excited to get it out there.
1: Brilliant. So we'll fess up. Sophie and I recorded this podcast version one back in October 2018. We did. Just worked we out. Did. So it, f- it would be remiss of us to put out an old podcast when so much has happened in the land of Frank Carter since. So here we are back. Thank um, you. So let's talk about what's happened this year 2019 for Frank Carter. It seems like it's been a lot.
2: It's been a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's kind of crazy that it's already mid-July. Uh, I can... I can remember the start of the year so vividly. It's all, I mean, it's all been a bit of a blur, but it's been really fun. Um, achieved a lot. Got Frank's record to number four in the charts, which I think was... Uh, Congratulations. Just, Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's just a really, really nice achievement um, for him as well, you know, having been in the in the industry for so long. Um, he, you know, he's written an album that really defines his career i think and and an album that's going to be seen to be really important in years to come i think it's it's definitely uh it's a really deep rock record in the way that bands like nine inch nails and Soundgarden and all those kind of bands in the in the 90s really kind of uh really kind of did and um yeah i'm just really really proud of what he's done great and a huge part of frank's
1: business is definitely the live show i mean yeah.
2: that's what it's all about it's an incredible live show he
1: is a at- total performer like you go to yeah. and he's a showman um, how has it been building that over the albums with a guy who's been touring before he's got a bit of a following but really trying to shape it into this entity of Frank Carter and Rattlesnakes as a live
2: offering I think he's um, it's interesting you know from the inside seeing him develop as, as like you said a performer um, you know when I first started working with him was four and a bit years ago and he was always renowned as being a great frontman. That's, you know, I think there's a distinction between a frontman and a performer. Uh, He was a great frontman, and when I, you know, in the first few tours, as the Rattlesnakes, it was this really kind of cathartic, nihilistic, crazy show, um, and always ended with this track, I Hate You, which was this, you know, the big blues track, and kind of showed what the band could be. And it's funny, because I look back now, and... Frank would kind of turn into a different person during that song and I realised that that was the person he was trying so desperately to evolve into now and now when you see the, the show it's, it's really something else I mean he's, he's uh, the best in his game I think right now Was that something you
1: felt you had an influence on seeing that, that change of what he could be And I Hate You? To like what the show is now and what the album is, or do you think you just helped by the process of getting the band where they wanted to be?
2: Honestly, I think he he had always wanted to get to this stage. I think um, I don't know a huge amount of the you know finer details with what happened with Gallows, uh, but he he had always wanted to make music like Queens of the Stone Age. And I think that the reason why Gallows, partly the reason why Gallows didn't work for him was because they wanted it to be a hardcore punk yeah. band. So I think he'd always wanted that, always yearned for that kind of, uh, that next level. Um, and with Rattlesnakes, it was more just like, he's always had a vision for where where he wanted it to go. And, and when they got to their second album, it was like, okay, this is going to be more rock. And then the third album was like, you know, even a, a step further in that direction. So he's always had that, Uh, vision it's more just like being able to give him the creative freedom to do that Uh um the opportunity to work with the people who can help uh elevate that um and give him the live opportunities in the right kind of structure and setting and plan to grow as that performer and build his audience and take his audience with him you know um So I would say I've kind of just facilitated what was always inevitable. I think what's often happened in Frank's career and other musicians' careers is other things get in the way and don't allow them to become who they're destined to be. So um, I think it's always just been in the stars for him. It's just, you know, a matter of when. so.
0: So if we can take it back a little bit now, can you tell us a bit about how you started in management, your journey?
2: Um... I guess I kind of fell into it. I've always been ridiculously passionate about music from when I was a really, really young kid. Like, I think I started listening to Nirvana when I was probably like eight. Um, (laughs) Brilliant. And so always had it kind of in me, uh, just a love for music and rock music and started going to shows when I was really young, like 11, I think Bad Religion was t- I went to see Tool wow. when I was like t- <laughs> eleven, Brilliant. and I saw Bad. I went t- I went on my own to see Bad Religion when I just turned like twelve. No, because they Bricks of the yeah, they were a
1: punk band who had an old following, like that's
2: proper. Doc yeah, I, I just remember being twelve years old and being in the pit at a Bad Religion <laughs> show and just thinking this is this is really crazy. Like, I don't think I should be here. Yeah, a little <laughs> Are bit you like scared. scared. I think it, was it was twelve
0: year old in a pit of a bunch of like old dudes. Well, yeah. Like... Yeah, I yeah,
2: I, I don't remember the <laughs> average age of everyone there, but I remember I was. Dead Definitely young, but I was a pretty tall kid, so um, I survived. But, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, and then I guess um, in the kind of like 2006, 2007, when there was a club night called Frog. Right. Mm. Which kind of took me a bit deeper into sort of indie scene and and being a part of like a scene, which I didn't really – I hadn't really been a part of before. Um, I started flyering for them so I could get into the club night because I wasn't 18. Great. Um, And built a network from there uh you know throughout that kind of um indie into like new rave that whole scene which was just you know so uh such an amazing time yeah. i really remember it very fondly um and a lot of friends i made then i'm friends with now you know they don't all work in music some people work in fashion tech or whatever um but I, uh, you know sometimes lean on them from time to time yeah. and uh and so yeah and i think i was at uni and a friend of mine was a scout at ATC and he quite wisely left and became a chef in Scotland. <laughs> uh, and he said, you should try it out. It's really fun. You get paid to go to gigs. Yeah. You get to, get to uh, you know, be around people working in music. And I thought, okay, we'll give it a go. Um, and that was kind of my first introduction and I'm still there Blimey. for my sins. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I guess I just fell into it like that, really.
1: And let's talk about meeting Frank, because Frank was an interesting place, as we mentioned. He was a frontman of Gallows. He had a real presence. You know, he was really known in the rock world. And then, you know, there was a split with Gallows. How did that come? How did you get involved in what became Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes?
2: So it was definitely not the route that I ever envisaged. I would, like, get basically what was my first proper client. Um, I had, at the time... Been working with a band called Radkey, who we signed to um, an ATC kind of label set up, funded by Sean Parker from Facebook of, of all people, which is sort of quite bizarre <laughs> uh, setup. And the Radkey thing was starting to kind of come to an end, and I was looking for I was looking for you know a client to manage, and I went out and hustled, and I think I pitched on like 10 acts and every single one of them said no. <laughs> uh, some of them were like pretty hyped. I mean, like, you know, you'd go to the gig and there'd be like, you know, 10 or 15 managers and there's that always that awkward thing of everyone's like, everyone's like at the sh- at the bar afterwards trying to talk to the band members and everyone's kind of standing around and you're like, trying to lurk around, oh, trying to like say... It sounds like
0: first dates. It's, it's <laughs> it's Love Island it's for sucks. managers did trying to you? pair up. It's so bad. Oh. And then
2: there's always one manager who's a loud mouth who's taking the piss out of the other managers and it, oh. it becomes a bit of a like... Yeah, anyway, just horrific. Um, so none of those uh, conversations time worked it. out. How did you take that at that time? Did that Was that a bit demoralising or was um, that...? I was, I was in quite a positive headspace. I felt like all of the meetings that I had were... I mean, in one way or another, were quite funny. I mean, I remember, I actually have quite a fond memory of that time, despite it being full of failure. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I remember once going up to Merthyr Tidfield to see Pretty Vicious. Amazing. At their first gig, and that was... I'll never forget seeing like <laughs> seeing like 30 Addison Lee taxis for oh all the music God. execs who had gone and taken a cab from London, what, like 350 miles to Merthyr and had their cars waiting outside the gig that's to drive I'm them would. home. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, pretty much none of those acts who I spoke to have gone on to do that much. So I've been, you know... There's no <laughs> one that got away from it. No, no, that. like, no. That's no, good. No. That's that's, good um, uh, yeah, so uh, I, you know, I, I, I kind of looked at it in a, in a positive way, and um, kind of out of nowhere, the Frank thing happened. Um, my housemate's girlfriend was the, is the sister of Dean, who's in the band, um, and I found out that Frank wanted a new manager and took a meeting, and yeah, here we are. I guess it's kind of
0: so. What was it? Do you think? In that meeting that, I mean, because I imagine he probably was having conversations with other managers. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was. So what do you think about that meeting and how you presented yourself to have made him feel that you were his one, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> his chosen one. <laughs> um, to, to
2: be honest, I think like he, um, he had been meeting with some pretty big managers. Uh, I think he wasn't sure who the, you know, he's not full and he's been through the ringer a few times and um, knows that, the person doing the day-to-day is vital and I don't think he was ever introduced to that like day-to-day person uh and I think it was very clear from when I first met him that it was going to be me and and so that from the from the off there was that kind of understanding um and uh I guess I just to be honest I didn't think I was going to get the gig so I was like whatever I'm just going to say whatever I want and um I was (laughs) I was actually convinced I wasn't going to get it right um so I just had a bunch of mad ideas, <laughs> and he liked all of them. And, and you're um, like, Shit, I have to do this think, now. You know, one of them was like, one of them was like, yeah, we'll make like, we'll, we'll buy like disused X-ray film and like make put vinyl recordings on them, and like because uh, they used to do that in Russia in the, right. like, the communist era. They used to, they used to uh, <laughs> smuggle, <laughs> they used to smuggle music uh, into Russia on used X-ray film. That's amazing. And yeah, 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 yeah. And so that was... That so was that won nice. him over? <laughs> yeah, I think so. We've still never <laughs> done it. And you've been it, looking
0: but, for that X-ray yeah. film ever yeah. since. You're literally it like... You've <laughs> Every day you ever get a message, you found that X-ray film yet, Matt?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the business of Frank. Uh, he's a very... He he comes across a very independent person. Yeah. Um, and it's true in the business sense as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, a pretty interesting guy from... You know, he's a, he's a real polymath. So apart from being this incredible performer and songwriter, uh, he is a very successful tattoo artist. Very, very successful. Um, very renowned uh, kind of globally. He's got a kind of graphics and print business. Um, he is working on a big collection of paintings, which are stunning. So that's going to be a fun thing to get into next year. Him and Dean... Dean, the guitarist, is actually very interesting in that sense as well. He um, has his own graphic design company called Studio Yuck. He does top-level, like, major-label artist work for, like, Rag & Bone Man, Calvin Harris, people like that. Um, so, yeah, so as as a unit, it's, it's quite interesting what skill sets they can draw from. They're working on a card game at the moment, which we want to sell the rights <laughs> to someone for. Yeah, I mean, so there's all sorts of stuff. I think, honestly, like time is the only thing that gets in the way and I think that that is is one of the things that I've learned is there really are only so many hours in the day and days in the year and sometimes like you look at a year and you go oh there's loads of time and then all of a sudden the year's gone and um it's hard to fit it all in especially if you're an artist that tours a lot it's really hard so
0: how do you as a manager try and help give him that time to do, what he, I mean, you, I know you said he's a polymath, so he probably does 100 things at once anyway. But how do you make sure that he can get the time that he needs so he can be creatively filled in, in other ways, maybe, it's, or it, work on other projects?
2: It's It's been a learning process. We've not always gotten it right. Um, Frank also is a father. Uh, and that is a huge, you know, the biggest mm. responsibility of his. Um, and I think that we've all been learning together as people and finding out each other's limits and um you know sometimes the boundaries and the goalposts change uh, and you just have to as a manager adapt to the changing circumstances and and be able to kind of think of new ways to you know to make use of the time you know just because a band is on tour and only plays for an hour a day doesn't mean that they have 23 hours left in the day to do other stuff Mm. so it's you know trying to adapt to, to where frank's head is at and um and what he's most motivated by and stuff is, you know, is a challenge. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun challenge.
1: Yeah.
2: And day-to-day, how do you manage the workload of what is,
1: to the uninitiated, a completely bananas job? <laughs> it's just yeah. dealing with one day you might be going, here is my plan yeah. of attack, and it gets completely derailed. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, yeah, sometimes you have, like, a week planned and then something, you know, a grenade gets dropped in your week and you've got to totally pivot. Um uh, I have an assistant now, shout out Walter Aldaz. Yes, Walter. Um, yes, Walter, what a great name. Do you, do, you know, do you know Walter? I know Walter. Yeah. I mean, okay, he's
1: Scottish, of course I yes. know Yes, yeah, yeah, you know everyone <laughs> The tiny Walter's island of Scotland, Scotland. Yeah. everyone good, knows he, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That must be a bit of a moment as a manager, getting an assistant.
2: It was, yeah, I'd never really like been a, I don't really want to say I'm a boss, but like <laughs> um, learning, yeah, learning how to, uh, how to use you know, an assistant to the to the sort of maximum efficiency and and get as much done as you can. Like, it's uh, yeah, it's great. It's Are you great.
1: able to let go of things? Because I would find that yeah. incredibly hard. Yeah, I am. <laughs> You're like, do luckily, it all. Luckily, <laughs> luckily,
2: Walter is killing it, and so yeah, I I am great. 100%.
0: So, how do you manage? Your own sort of... I mean, you said you've got an assistant now, which yeah. is great. And what do you do to help you manage your mental health a bit and have time out and things? What are your sort of methods to come away from it so you're not constantly on it 24-7, checking emails, being reactive, rather than proactive, I
2: suppose? Uh, I, I mean, there's... Exercise is obviously, like, a really good thing for your headspace. Um, I've tried to start... I mean, basic, but, like, switch off my... E- like, literally close my email and turn off the internet on my phone and my laptop for, like, an hour to try and get some stuff done. Um... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of resources online to, to try new things, um, new apps and that kind of thing. I try not to get sucked into like trying a new app every six weeks, like a new to-do app. Uh, so many to-do, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's definitely a challenge sometimes. So let's talk about some of
1: the high moments. Yeah. Like what is, what is the main thing you stick out? If you had to go, that was a moment I
2: realized this was going well as a manager. There's been a lot, man. I think um, definitely like when we sold out, oh, what was it? We sold out Dingwalls or something like in 20 seconds or something like in the first couple of months of the band. Yeah. Okay. And when we did that, we were like, okay, this is, this is, uh, I was like, there was the first show I'd ever sold out. I was like, wow, this is crazy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And there's just been so many moments over the last like four and a half years, like so many big live moments, big festival sets. Um, And it used to be, you know, the festival, the big sets were like in the UK but the guys are crushing it in Europe now. Like some of the shows that they're putting on, some of the festival shows, like the guys played uh, Festival Eurokeens, uh in France last weekend. And I wasn't there, but I've seen the footage. And there's 15,000 people in the tent just going absolutely mad. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and that, I think that's exciting for, for Frank as a rock musician because there's not a lot of UK rock bands in that kind of more indie space who are breaking in Europe. Uh-huh. You know, it's and there's an harder. appetite over there hundred percent there is, but you just have to, you just have to go, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of bands don't invest or don't have the, uh, don't have the tool or like tools or ability to, you know, I'm sure everyone wants to tour there. Yeah. And it sounds like that was a
1: conscious decision mm. to go and go, we are going to have to spend a lot of money on TMs, a lot of money on buses We've, and ferry
2: tickets. We have consistently lost money on international touring for four years. We've never actually made a profit. Just on the on the fees uh, okay festivals is is one thing, but um, on headline touring on fees we've never um, profited. We do great on merch and stuff, but it's it's a constant investment um, and thinking about you know where's Frank going to be in five years it's not like next year, uh-huh. what about five years' time, and trying to kind of think of that when we're when we're booking touring and staring into like a really horrendous tour budget and going, okay well it's important that we make this loss. Because it's going to help us grow in this way, and and you know help us in years to come.
0: So, where does and I'm just saying this because I think there might be some really young, experienced managers who will ask this. But where does the money come from for that tour budget? Is it coming from the sale of the records? You're making good money on your records, or is it being fronted in some way it's through the management from, company? Not from <laughs> money from records. That's <laughs> for sure. Nobody makes money on records anymore. Uh, so <laughs> we, streams.
2: We've had a, you know we've had a bit of tour support over the years. Um, I would say like. Um, cash flow is is really tricky to manage but I've as a as a team we've collectively been able to pull some rabbits out of hats in terms of investment um, we're pretty good at getting grants at ATC in general which is um, which is cool uh, we do a lot of brand deals with Frank uh, working on a bunch right now I think because he's kind of goes back to him being a polymath and being a multifaceted kind of artist he's really attractive for brands he's also like open to it he's, he, he gets it Um and uh, and so we've, you know, we've been able to consistently dig ourselves out of holes um, and invest, invest, invest. And and yeah, you know, we I think we're very fortunate to be able to have done that.
0: When you say that he's very popular with brands, and that's something that a lot of artists are going down as a route these days, they're partnering with brands. How have you picked the brands that you still fit with Frank's ethos? Because he's quite independent. He's quite sort of, you know, I don't think you necessarily pair him with like... Hula hoops. That's the most random thing ever. But do you know what I mean. How have you managed to sort of sit down and pick the brands that you're happy for him to work with, that you feel still will work with him and represent him as the artist he wants to be?
2: Um, the, the reality is, like for a rock band like the Rattlesnakes, there are a limited um, there are a limited number of brands that will actually invest money in a meaningful way. Um, it's all well and good getting free clothes from Gucci or whoever, but sometimes you just you need cash, and there's a lot of kind of drinks brands, alcohol or energy drinks brands who are investing money, um, and also who have big social media followings, and so can add to that. They can help market uh, your, um, you can, they can help market the band. One really interesting partnership we've done is in the states with Monster wants to have like a touring arm called outbreak which is essentially run by a bunch of guys who used to be promoters so when you do a deal with them you're not just getting money you're actually getting like promoter expertise because they want to sell the tours out so the brands are definitely getting smart and like realizing that they can add value in more ways than just the cash um, that whether that's like digital marketing money or a digital marketing team uh, all sorts of stuff so it's it's pretty interesting right now I think there's definitely a lot of growth uh in that area not just in terms of like financial growth but um just the skills you know that these people are able to offer
0: did you do something with Frank I feel like we talked about it on the podcast recorded before he did something with Samsung or yes. something there was a phone brand and it was an it was an amazing campaign oh. I remember seeing it and thinking that's really cool yeah what was was it Samsung? I can't remember what it was yeah
2: so we did yeah. we did a we did a music video and kind of campaign with Samsung which was Born out of like a, a little bit born out of necessity, but also a a really uh, a relationship that lined up at just the right time. There's a video director called Ross Cairns who has done a lot of stuff with Frank in the past, um, and he is one of Samsung's main kind of ad directors and he also has done stuff for Royal Blood and Biffy Clyro and Queens of the Stone Age and because of his affinity to rock music he was always waiting for the right time to bring Frank in for a campaign and they had this thing called the Hypercube which was a big just ridiculous installation that they were touring around festivals it was basically like a, a giant box covered in mirrors on the inside with a load of lasers inside and lights so you'd go in and you know, try Lose out... Lose yourself. Yeah, you try out have some a phones. Raise. Yeah, 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 well, I yeah mean, yeah. You can imagine, like, some yeah, yeah. 17-year-old, you know, kids just, you know, <laughs> yeah. pretty Melted. messed up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, Spangled. Yeah. <laughs> and they let us shoot a music video in there and then put it out, uh, paid us some money, and we got, like, a hundred grand music video for free, which was pretty sweet, um, which was cool. It was at the end of the cycle. We didn't have any money, and we kind of pulled that one out, so... Um, So, yeah.
0: Has there ever been any campaigns you've seen, obviously not Frank's, but different things that in the past you thought they were incredible marketing, digital, not even digital, it could have been Mm. before digital campaigns, anything that sticks in your mind that you just thought was amazing?
2: Um, I think to this day, the the best one. And actually, I think this is probably the first time I ever really like kind of clued in on like music marketing was a Nine Inch Nails campaign back in 2007 where they did this whole like uh, alternate reality game online and, and all this like real world stuff where uh, they were hiding clues to the alternate reality kind of thing at shows and um, and that was like definitely to this day the most uh, immersive thing I've ever seen a big artist do. A few uh-huh. people have tried it but no one has come close. It sounds so Trent Reznor. It was crazy. <laughs> Honestly, it was it was really, it was incredible. And um,
0: What did you have to find at the shows? Was it like a USB key or something? They oh. had USB
2: keys with songs on them. Uh, they had, um, Q, uh, not QR codes, it was just kind of pre-QR codes, but they had like, um, oh man, the, the most crazy one was they had a billboard and the billboard was peeled up on the edge and on the underside of the edge they had a code hidden to reach a website. Stuff like that. It's just wow. like, the level of detail was just... Uh, slightly insane. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't have wanted to actually work on that <laughs> because I think I would have gone mad. But, um, but that gave you a little insight into yeah. almost what
1: you can do. And I think when I was a teenager, growing up and being into rock bands, I was all about, yeah, man, don't sell out and all yeah. that. And it takes a certain level to go, no, no, this is what it doesn't. You know, Trent's an incredibly intelligent yeah. guy as
2: well. So it's
1: interesting to hear you say that you see it from that side from that
2: early on. But I mean, that was that was quite a long time ago, but even now, you know, there's some really, really cool stuff um being done. Uh you know, I thought Slow Tie's recent record campaign was just oh, it's so incredible, great. Isn't it? um, it's incredible. And it's a in very a fu-
1: good use of uh, digital well no outdoor ad spending. Yeah.
2: And also just um you know some people are just getting the creatives so right. And I think you can you can take as many billboards out as you want and spend yeah. as much money on uh, on ads as you want. But um having like really great album cover, like his album cover oh, totally. is just crazy so good.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. And uh, speaking of legends, we talked about Trent Reznor. There's yep. another legend that's pretty closely aligned to Frank now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Morello, of course. And there's that video on
2: YouTube yeah. of Frank going out and
1: singing, killing the name of. That is, Tell us how that came about.
2: Um, that was pretty uh, unexpected. Frank knows Tom from, uh, from back in the day. He toured with Rage Against the Machine in I think 2009 or something when he was in Gallows. We were at a festival in Spain. It was actually one that I decided to come out to uh, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, the lineup was Frank, Prophets of Rage, and then Kiss. So just ridiculous, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were wa- uh, all of the Prophets of Rage guys watched Frank during the show, which was really, really cool. And then during their set, Frank ended up going into the crowd, into the mosh pit, um, getting on someone's shoulders, singing the words to one of the songs, getting called up on stage. <laughs> and uh, literally, it was not planned at all. Tom Morello just gave him the mic and was like, you know what this song is. And they just went straight oh, into yeah. it. Oh, my and God. we were stood there in the crowd, just like our jaws so free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Tom yeah. was
1: the mic and Chuck D just screaming at him. It was, it was
2: so funny. <laughs> it was honestly... Um, one of those it was one of those moments that you just you kind of know is like super special totally. um, and it led to Tom doing a solo on the on the record and um, the guys are doing another show with them in a couple weeks uh, so maybe we'll see we'll have a repeat um, yeah really cool really cool uh-huh. for Frank
1: But it's good to see those things follow through, like that chance happening at a festival. And it's like, it doesn't, it It takes a lot of emails, I imagine, and a lot of convincing to be like, actually come on the record. Or did that just... Uh, It was actually pretty easy. (laughs) Frank
2: was just texting him and he was like, yeah, send me the file. And then literally 24 hours later, we had a guitar solo. You've ruined the magic. Wow, isn't this this easy? Um, No, that was just a very, uh, it was a very uh, chance encounter, which was really, um, yeah, really fortunate for us. Yeah.
1: Uh, Let's go on to talk about the industry a little bit more, and more specifically as a manager, because you've been quite involved with setting up manager meetups in London, doing bits and bobs with the MMFs themselves. Um, Do you see that as an important part of your role, seeing as you've now sort of got established as a manager and you've been helped on your journey, you know, through ATC and stuff? Do you find that getting managers together is something that you are quite passionate about doing or it helps you
2: yeah it was um it was a cool thing that myself and a colleague of mine clarice started doing um i'll be honest we've both been very busy the last of six to eight months and we wanted to give it a little break uh i think the summer's also quite a hectic time uh for people's schedules so we're going to start that back up in the autumn um but we it was great we got to got to meet a bunch of new managers uh across different sort of genres um managed to you know kind of push through a few things with PRS foundation um for example letting managers commission on uh on grants which um That's up until was, well it's 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 a small amount of money but it's a step in the right direction um and yes you know f- a few other things just figuring out what managers cared about most and and what were you know what were the challenges that some of the more, like more independent managers were facing um which we took to the MMF and the MMF you know definitely helped out um
1: and what were some of those challenges? Just off the top, of I your just head? think
2: like f- uh, funding, mental health, um, uh, you know, advancing uh, sort of skill sets. I think what, yeah. So one of the other things that got rolled out was the um, the sort of uh, I forget what they call it, but the fund Oh
1: yeah
0: the managers um yeah the accelerator the yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so that I yeah. think
2: that kinda of got fast tracked a little bit because of the meetings Great. that we had, which was cool because I think that was something that had been discussed for a while and then Fiona uh-huh. from the MMF took it to the board and was like, We need to sort this out and um uh, and I was actually pretty surprised at how quickly that turned around and, and that's really as a few manager friends of, friends of mine who were in that program and uh-huh honestly without it they probably would have had to get a different job totally you know so um really cool yeah because
1: it's that demand of having to make a living when there's no money there's probably no money for the first three years four years five Mm -hmm. years even if you nail it um but you need to constantly get on planes you need to constantly be places so that seems to be from every manager we speak to as well it's like that seems to be the the sticking point of when many many people might just go can't do it
2: i'm out yeah and one of the really cool um elements of that was also the i think you you would get free legal advice from uh i forget who it was and free accounting so you could kind of tap into those resources where if you know if you're managing a, 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 an up-and-coming artist sometimes you can't afford an accountant or you can't afford a lawyer uh, and as a manager you're then not interacting with those people and doing business with those people you're not learning how their systems work and um yeah, so that, that was a really, really cool thing for them to, to bring into it.
1: What do you think the management community could be doing a bit better together? Because those are really positive steps. Or is there a specific challenge you see now?
2: Um, I think just keeping up um, the pressure on the live industry to reform. I think secondary ticketing you know, is a huge problem. It's definitely getting better. Um, but again, it's one of those things which is so good about the MMF is that a lot of managers are so... Uh, preoccupied with the sort of micro of their businesses and their artist businesses that it you know you sometimes are completely oblivious to these big changes in the industry which you know massively affects your artist businesses and so you know having the mmf there, forcing change you know for managers and ultimately artists is is a massively powerful thing um i think as well the mental health of managers and people in the industry is is a an issue which still needs work, but seems to be moving in the right direction. Um, so, yeah. What
1: do you think in terms of uh, ATC? Obviously, you've been with them since, since you know, you kind of went in there and started scouting. And I think it's easy to, like, idealise, like, an independent manager who's done it all themselves. But I think there's a lot to be said for getting in at the ground level with a management company. Would, mm-hmm. you, would you, obviously, you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I've definitely learnt, um, I've learnt a lot. Um you know, about the right ways to do things and and, uh, and seeing other people do things in the right way or make mistakes or, you know, just generally being around some people I think as as a manager it's quite a lonely job and um I'm I feel really lucky to have like learnt I'm um, around a bunch of people. Um definitely kind of doing it on your own is I guess it can be pretty rough. Pretty um, isolating, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I think what's really interesting about being in a management company is the camaraderie, right? The being able to celebrate the highs, but yeah. also when you've had the lows, having someone there to sort of pick you up. And and that's really important because a, a lot of the managers we've interviewed who have been independent have said that they'll have a great success and they'll be like, yeah. And then they'll ring their artist and then they'll suddenly sit down and be like, w- who do I ring now? I just yeah. celebrate on my own. And <laughs> so I think people forget when you're in a management company, it's actually, it's about the support Mentally to celebrate and yep. also look after yourself when it, in the lows. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah,
2: being able to celebrate those wins with your colleagues and also like sometimes you know some some bad stuff happens and you've got to talk to someone about it. And mm. whether that's just moaning about someone, you know, it's it's good to, it's good to talk to someone about that stuff. Um, and I've got some great colleagues who always listen to me moan if I'm if I'm ever moaning, <laughs> which is uh, very rare. But. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's been really great to you know have have some kind of mentors, Brian and and Rick and Craig and those guys, um, you know, and, and and all of the stuff that they've done over the years. Like you know, so many so many crazy stories those guys have, and 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 also just a lot of lessons that they can teach. You know, so that's good. And what's going on right now at ATC? Uh, loads, loads of stuff, stuff um, man. Um, Signing few artists, I don't know if I can say who. Um, we'll see in the music press. We'll see. Um, loads of really cool stuff happening in the uh, ATC live um, side as well. Uh, some really great acts on their Roster, Fontaine's DC, Shame, some really, really, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, for
1: you, what do you think the future
2: holds? It's actually something I've been thinking a lot about recently diversifying my business as a manager um, there's a couple of friends of mine who really kind of inspire me with with the with the amazing work that they've been doing uh, just kind of doing management and and setting up other kind of side businesses and, and doing all sorts of stuff which uh, you know really diversifying coming up with board games coming up with board games yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of my next uh, kind of plan um, I also look after half moon run who have a record coming out uh, later this year mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to say what the release date is because it's not been totally decided upon yet but Excellent. that's going to be you know the next sort of six to nine months at least Frank is touring all the way through to next year hopefully we'll get the board game out great um, looking to take on new clients and yeah just, just keep going absolutely
1: well, I think that's a lovely place to leave it because you may have heard in the background of the entire interview there's quite a lot of hilarity and joviality going on outside because we're in the AWOL office and it is the AWOL summer party upstairs on the roof and there are some really tough times in management. There are some really annoying things. There's a heck of a lot of emails. But every now and again, there's drinks on a rooftop in central London. And free food. And free
2: food. So we no probably, plus ones, though. <laughs>
1: though. No plus ones, though. <laughs> Which Matt is definitely annoyed about. <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> Uh, so thank you so much for sitting down with us, Matt. Thank All you. the best. I look forward to whatever Frank and Half Run do next. Yeah. And, uh, and what are you do next as well? Cheers. Bye.
0: Wow. Matt is just... He's very, like you he said, he's quite calm. He's collected. But he obviously... He's been through a lot with Frank and obviously, you know, the amazing success they're having now. And um, one thing I really liked was he shouted out his assistant and I know not every manager today. Shout out Walter. Never met Walter, but shout out Walter. Um,
1: I've met Walter. Walter is a good man
0: I love the fact that he shouted about and said you know he makes life easier I just love that's that real thing that we talked about at the beginning of the pod about sort of making sure you're giving back and helping the next generation of managers yeah
1: and it's cool to hear as well like obviously Frank was in a band before he went solo and before Matt got involved and that was his first proper management job and to see how both sides benefited from that situation was really interesting and Matt's obviously got loads of respect for Frank and I'm sure it goes, goes the other way around as well but both at the heart just fans of good rock music and, 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 and taking that out on tour taking risks to go and spend that money to go to Europe and lose money going to Europe and now finally after a couple of albums it's really paying off so as Sophie said at the top of the episode this is the last proper normal episode of season one definitely be coming back with a season two if there's anything you've loved anything you've hated anything you'd love us to cover then please do give us a shout at manage that pod on Instagram or Twitter DMs are open let us know what you thought we'd really
0: like to know what would your what managers would you like us to interview that would be great what would be your dream managers for us to interview We have to say a massive, massive thank you to the MMF, that's the Music Managers Forum, who are the reason that we got this pod off the ground. And we have to say, as I mentioned it before, our sponsor AWOL, who have been incredible in helping us.
1: If you haven't checked out AWOL, go and check them out online, awol.com. They're an amazing, innovative, very active distributor on a global scale, empowering artists and pushing their music forward. So, until we return, thank you so much for listening. We will be back at some time in the future with Season 2.
0: Bye, guys. How Did You Manage That? is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by a The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Pallock and Annie McCrae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.